folks, uh, this is Anatoly and you're listening to the Solana podcast. And today I have Ori and Yutaro, co-founders of Orca, an AMM DAX running on Solana. Welcome. Thanks so much for having us here. Hey, Anatoly. Really cool to have you guys. Um, you guys were like one of the first projects or one of the first founders that we talked to. Yeah. And th- this was like a crypto decade ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Had some ups and downs lately. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it was like August when we reached out to you. Yeah. Which was definitely, yeah, it feels like forever ago. Even Solana felt a lot smaller back then. And it was pretty cool that like we got to basically just drop a message on Discord and then we ended up talking to you in like, I think it was like two or three days. Yeah. And then we were like, okay, let's do this. <laughs> like, let's build yeah. a plan <laughs> and then let's build on Solana. And here we are. Yeah. Yeah. Even only being here officially since March, it's been kind of a, a wild ride. <laughs> yeah. Do you guys always had like a really cool and different vision for DEXs and things like that, which was more user friendly and kind of more fun? Can you dive into that and and tell us about it? Yeah, definitely. So I think people have been talking forever about how, you know, DeFi is going to become the next internet economy and money Legos and all that. But I think in order for that to be true, we really do need to get way more users onto DeFi. And obviously the way to do that is to make it more accessible. And so just looking at the the two of us and the skills that we bring to the table, like Utaro's deep experience with blockchain and with Ethereum, and then me having basically built my career around making really complex technical products, really user-friendly, I think we just saw a huge opportunity to make an AMM, something that like people could really use to quickly appreciate like the performance of Solana in a way that feels really intuitive. That's really cool. Yeah. Usability and accessibility are like one of those pain points that everyone always talks about. That's never really like a, a thing that even normal financial applications focus on, right? Like I don't go to bank my Bank of America website and like feel like I'm have a great experience there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think with, you know, like if, we're able to rebuild financial institutions on crypto. I mean, certain things will be the same, but other things will be radically different. And I think one thing that will be radically different is like how much basically bureaucracy there is in between kind of like the core financial tools and then people. So then I think one of the consequences there is like the products themselves will feel a lot more personal. And I think like the gap between say like users and even founders will feel like a lot closer. And I think that, you know, even the way that we build products, I think we have that in mind, right? Like we kind of understand that in the future, it's just like Orca itself will be very impactful, but it will also be a very thin layer in like the financial stack of crypto. Yeah, I I think like what's really kind of exciting to me about crypto is that typically this like, financial applications are really hard to get off the ground. Like how long does it take for like a major institution to build a product versus you guys were able just a small team, like build this awesome experience. It's doing something really, really complicated and really, really financial, like with a lot of volume and like a lot of money at risk. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think we have your team to take for that in a lot of ways, you know, having the the financial primitives, having token swap out there as an existing smart contract for us to build on was obviously huge. 
Uh, we're in the middle of writing our yield farming smart contract right now. And this stuff isn't simple. So having those reference implementations out there to get us started what is really what made it possible. Yeah. What is your, I guess, vision for yield farming? I guess one thing is we want it to be accessible. So we want to write it in a way where, first of all, the smart contract is open source. People can verify it themselves. And I think we want as many things on Orca to be self-service as opposed to having it run through us. So yeah, eventually it'd be great if a program or like a, a project wants to list a token on Orca and then they can set, you know, the emissions rate themselves and they can like provide the tokens themselves that users can yield farm with. And yeah, I mean, we want it to be flexible. I think another thing is like, we'll see where yield farming goes from here, right? Like we've only had one real market cycle for yield farming to develop. And I think it's going to like mature into something that's a little more sophisticated over time. So um, yeah, we'll, we'll kind of like see where yield farming goes from here. Yeah, I would say that's our technical viewpoint. In terms of the shorter term, like what is your liquidity mining program type question that a lot of users are bound mm. to have, I would say that we are structuring everything to be as fair as possible. We want Orca governance tokens to go to people who provide value to Orca. Uh, and I think most people can probably infer what that means. Uh, but, you know, we're not going to airdrop to users who are not contributing real value just for marketing. I think we have pretty strong principles there. Uh, what, what, whatever contributes to the healthiest Orca ecosystem mm -hmm. is going to be the way that we structure our program. Yeah. Cool. Do you think that NFTs will play into this? You guys had like, I think a really clever initial kind of like campaign, which I, I, I loved. Um, do you want to talk about it? Cause I, I don't even know if users are familiar with it. Yeah, it's been really fun and crazy to kind of see where this has gone, to be honest. Like pre-NFT boom, I was actually just following along with this stuff as sort of, you know, a tech art general interest. And uh, I had observed how things had gone with CryptoPunks and CryptoKitties. And I thought it was really neat how there's this whole new generation of digital artists and digital art that's evolving related to crypto. But I had also noticed that all these crypto art projects kind of existed standalone and weren't really integrated with the actual DeFi applications out there. And so this is where I thought it'd be cool if we created our own, essentially NFTs, what we call our collectibles, that we've distributed to our early users for different things like early traders, as well as some of our top liquidity providers and you know, honestly, I was thinking of them as just like sort of a fun, you know, video game achievement kind of thing. Uh, something that I'm, I've really enjoyed with Orca is that I do like all the design. So I hand drew all these little guys myself. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I thought it was like Pokemon cards. But then <laughs> immediately, as soon as we distributed them, it turned into like a whole insane secondary market trading <laughs> thing. And so like, we yeah. had 10,000 guppies that we gave out, like these uh, cute little guppy fish tokens. And uh, the, each one went to people who traded at least $10 USD value on Orca in the beginning. And at some point in like the serum secondary markets, they were selling for $100 each. Yeah. And people were just speculating like crazy. And I was like, I guess I'm a million dollar NFT artist. Now. <laughs> That's kind of cool. <laughs> yeah. Collectibles definitely took on a life of its own. 
And we learned a lot just through the entire process in terms of like, you know, what the community is looking for, like what they're interested in. But, you know, for me, like, I think what would be really cool is if like the community contributed and like built interesting applications that are in the spirit of Orca's brand and kind of like the collectibles brand. For example, it'd be so cool if like someone built, you know, a like a, a game that you can play on the web browser and you need like a guppy token to play, you know, like, and then you get to play as like a guppy or something <laughs> like that. Maybe like a side scrolling yeah. platformer game or something like that. That would be really cool. That's my dream. Well, we actually have a prize out for the hackathon mm-hmm. that's happening right now, Solana season. Yeah. For anyone who builds something really cool on top of either Orca's core AMM or our collectibles. So if you're interested in building a guppy themed game or whale or starfish or any of our other collectibles, yeah. feel free to, to experiment with that because I guess you can be rewarded for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's super cool. I I thought it'd be really funny if somebody built like a visualizer for all the markets in the in Solana that look like the pit from New York Stock Exchange, but it was all just NFTs. Mm. <laughs> like yelling prices. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, if anyone's listening, yeah, <laughs> there could be guppies and or and little whales, right? And, and sharks <laughs> all yelling prices at each other. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> what do you, how do you guys see like the future of this like decentralized finance evolving? Yeah, that's a good question. It's hard to predict (laughs) is one thing. Like, you know, there are certain things that are certain though, right? Like no matter how things evolve, there's always going to be a need to swap one token for another. And, you know, users are always going to want it to be a good experience and users are always going to want good execution. Another thing is lending and borrowing, right? That is always going to uh, exist no matter what. From there, it's kind of hard to say like i'm interested in seeing more retail focused applications right like i remember back in you know when we were involved in ethereum we were people were talking about how cool it would be if people could just like you know uh pay each other uh for lunch using the ethereum network but you know how that was just infeasible (laughs) but you know now we actually have a platform where we can do that so like let's figure out how we can do that and I've then, actually paid friends in Seoul before. I don't know about okay, you. Okay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so then, like, I would love to see, you know, like, more retail-focused applications. And then I think as we as we get more retail-focused applications, we'll see, like, what are the financial instruments that people need, and then let's build those things. Yeah, I like that. I like that approach. Do you think that the crypto as a market is now big enough to iterate on the actual user experiences? Because in 2017, during the boom, there was just not enough people that you can even test. Like, is this good UX? <laughs> mm, yeah, that's true. I guess so. Well, I would say that what good UX is completely depends on who the users are. So right now, you when you hear people talk about crypto UX... I think something that you hear a lot is like, well, you know, if there's enough money involved, people will jump through hoops. And so like UX doesn't really matter. And to some extent, that's true. You know, if you can get these insane returns, then people will jump through hoops. 
But that also kind of means that the use of crypto right now is limited to like insane returns for people who already have the technical knowledge and assets to take advantage of those. And so like, I think good UX is kind of meaningless unless you think about the long-term like utility, like what is the user experience that actually matters here? And so I guess my dream for crypto and what actually like gets me really excited to think about is this probably still far off, but, you know, not that far off in technology terms, maybe future where crypto is actually like relevant and useful to everyday people. And I've also had to accept that there's going to be a road to get there. And like what we're doing is building this foundational infrastructure to make that possible. But for now, you know, it's a building process. And later on, I think we'll see more cool things with like stable coins and average people having more ways to diversify their assets Um, Average people having ways to interact with crypto that don't involve basically (laughs) huge risks of loss from speculation. And right now we're having a lot of fun as builders. But yeah, that long term vision for us of basically having crypto be something that actually increases instead of decreases economic opportunity and economic equity is really exciting. Yeah, for sure. What are like the baby steps? <laughs> What's next? <laughs> How do we get there? <laughs> well, baby steps for Solana partially, I think, are making it easier for people just to build apps. You know, like we don't actually have a widely used lending protocol yet on Solana. It's definitely going to happen. Um, but, you know, writing this Rust smart contract code myself right now, like this is not something that you know, your average developer is just going to like wake up one day and start pumping out smart contracts. Like, I think once we actually make that money Legos dream real and, you know, it's easier for people to build and that then we'll be able to like, once we have a huge ecosystem, naturally, I think uh, all of these applications are going to compete on UX. Like whether they think about it that way or not, ultimately users will go where the best UX is, which is a combination of what you might traditionally think of as design and ultimately like the returns that they can get, for example, if that's what they're, they're going for. That's uh, I think a really good observation. At least that's, there's always a subset of people that really care about UX, you know, and this is why they like buy Apple devices at a premium over, (laughs) (laughs) and uh, that's totally true. I'm really curious how that plays out into like a decentralized development model, because like, you know, Apple was such a top-down, like, you know, dictator-driven Steve Jobs kind of place. Um, how, how do you see, like, is it, and, and like my experience with Linux, which was really like, in, you know, my, my, like, my thing that I grew up with as, a, as the decentralized project with always, like, the worst user experiences you can imagine. <laughs> how, how do you... Yeah. How do you guys like? I think like I, I really wish for you guys to succeed, and and but like, how do you guys plan on doing that? Thank you. We wish for it too. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. I think for us, it's about setting Orca on the right course early on, and bringing on people who really believe in that vision to help us basically align incentives. Like I think most projects start out less decentralized than the community might wish. Right? They're all like. It's not really decentralized if X, Y, Z, but, you know, we're still so early in this experiment of decentralization. Like that is ultimately our goal as Orca, because we want Orca to be something that can function and can develop over time without, you know, 
Yutaro and I needing to be online when we're like 65. Um, and so I think there's like, <laughs> yeah, like by then I want to be full, I want to be fully retired much earlier than that. <laughs> but like, it's all about setting like the conditions, right? Like, and I think so far the people that we've had like in the Orca community are incredible. I think we've set this expectation that Orca is like a protocol that's doing things right. We're not a pump and dump. We want to be here for the long term and to provide real value. And just as a result of that, we've already had like a surprising number of people just be like, hey, what can I do? I want to be part of Orca. I want to be a CM. I want to develop. And just like seeing that, I think, has been really encouraging. Yeah, I think, um, you know, comparing, say, like Solana to the or any kind of like decentralized ecosystem on crypto to Linux is a really interesting comparison. (laughs) And I wonder if there's like something we can learn from there. From our perspective, I feel like right now Solana is just too young for like a decentralized protocol kind of like sushi swap to emerge because there's just not a big enough pool of like crypto native, basically like developers and community members that can really like build a protocol organically. Um, I think that's just going to take time. And I wonder with like Linux, did you really, did you see, you know, like a pool of basically people that were ready to contribute to something? And like, did that allow Linux to flourish? I mean, it took a long time. Yeah. And it was driven by Linus, right? And he, he's still kind of the driver of it, which I think in some cases a bit of a detriment to its adoption, right? But like, this is a sushi swap is a really great example. I think they've remarkably transformed into this like open ecosystem where like, Hey, just throw something into the bento box and see if users <laughs> like it. Right. I think that's really cool. They're one of the folks that I look to in terms of like, how do you actually like encourage people to come in and take ownership of, of big pieces, right. Uh, of the code base and things like that. And Tokens, I think, are something that Linux doesn't have, which is why like the people that ended up developing and still developing it now are like the Googles, right, and the Apples, the Qualcomms. Um, so they kind of like took over the not not the Apples, the the Microsofts, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> like, which surprisingly, right? Like people kind of you know have to get paid to do this really complex work. So it'll be interesting to see if this can develop organically. At the protocol layers, I think it's a lot easier in some cases than at the core layer. But for the financial pieces, right, are are fairly transferable from Ethereum to Solana and vice versa to some extent. You know, we can do, you can implement things that just do a bit more computationally intensive things that would be really hard to migrate. Yeah. I actually think the, the analogy with Linux is kind of hilarious because this is something that we fight about all the time in terms of like Linux versus Mac OS. And <laughs> I actually think that's like yeah. <laughs> a pretty good analogy for the Solana ecosystem right now, where I think of maybe Serum is like closer to, to Linux. It is like this incredibly powerful financial building block that we've already seen a lot of people start building off of mm-hmm. in different ways. But you know, there's like a reason that average people don't use Linux right now, right? It's like incredibly powerful yeah. and I think incredibly cool. But, you know, the, the average person, like, if, if my grandma can use, like, an iPad, I'm really happy. Like, I'm not trying to get her to use Linux, you know? Yeah. And I think, like, Orca is actually trying to be, like, the iPad, you know? Like, you don't need deep knowledge of Solana or, like, 
the account model or anything like that. Ideally, just to jump on Orca and start making swaps. And yeah. so I think that's like the value that we bring is translating that complexity into something that's like easily accessible and black boxed enough that people who don't care don't need to look at the internals, but also open enough that people who do care can just go look at our smart contract and say, okay, like I trust that this works because I can see all the code. Yeah. And I guess on the other hand, like, you know, Linux has basically dominated the server operating system game. And I mean, I use Linux as well. So <laughs> it, uh, I think it's good to have both approaches in an open ecosystem. Yeah, neither is better than the other. And I think both just like serve different users. Again, like UX is only as good as its understanding of who its targets users are. Yeah, that, that's a great observation. So you mentioned lending. Are you guys working on like a, a really awesome UX for lending? <laughs> if we could clone ourselves, <laughs> I think that would be really cool. Yeah. We have a really exciting roadmap for, for yeah. Orca. And it's, I think there's so much that we can do to innovate on just the core AMM model. That's actually like what we're mm -hmm. really like geared up and excited to do because I think like it may, I, I, we actually like love the idea of working on lending, but we're like, we just can't. What's something we've learned is that we shouldn't spread our focus too thin. Um, and there's like so much to do in terms of just AMMs. Like I, we've been talking about this idea that we, we talk about called uh, whirlpools for a while. I don't know if you want to talk about it, Taro. <laughs> yeah. I mean, whirlpools like is, <laughs> yeah, I guess like, you know, I, I still remember when I first like read the code for Uniswap V1 and I loved how simple it was. And I, I, I just loved how, you know, before that, like most people were trying to build an order book DEX on Ethereum and it clearly wasn't working. And then you just see like this code that you can basically read in 15 minutes and you can basically understand how it works and you can basically have a fairly high level of confidence that it's just going to work and that there aren't really any potential like serious security concerns because it's so simple. And you know, I think like one of the biggest issues that people always saw with AMMs were the capital inefficiency. And I think, um, for example, like Uniswap V3 has really tackled that problem head on. And I think like for us, the next evolution for, you know, the smart contract for Orca is going to be basically tackling capital inefficiency. You know, like Uniswap V3, for example, had, I think they like used a uh, concept concentrated liquidity yep. and you know we basically had the same idea for a while as well um and Tara was so bummed when the details <laughs> of uniswap v3 came out because he was like that's my idea <laughs> i've been wanting to do this forever and yeah. like it's okay Utaro. like i think seeing that it can be done and like we can actually learn a lot from the way that they mm -hmm. do things but there's actually like a lot that we can do simply because we're built on solana that you can't do on ethereum yeah I think their approach is really awesome. It was, it's like incredibly innovative. Um, I think like we kind of have our approach that we want to experiment with as well. So yeah, like, I mean, that's something that we want to get working on in like Q3, maybe like late Q3. Pretty much yeah. whenever it hits our top of list of priorities, like we did mention wanting to make it easier for people to list any token yep. on Orca. So that's, what I, I love branding this stuff. So I'm thinking of that as like our community pools project. And mm -hmm. then we'll move on to whirlpools, like whirlpools, because it's concentrated liquidity. <laughs> everything fits into the marine theme. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah, I think like speaking of UX, like UX also extends to like the developer experience, right? And I think Uniswap V3 is incredibly cool and has a lot of potential, but it's also pretty complex, right? Like you have these NFTs that are kind of playing the role of pool tokens. Every single liquidity position is sort of bespoke. And I think it remains to be seen whether that's going to allow for more innovation in the Uniswap ecosystem. So we're thinking about also potentially like simpler approaches that still allow LPs to get some of the benefits of concentrated liquidity and of like more capital efficiency without actually having to make as many decisions themselves. And, you know, once we get the Orca governance token out, I think we'll spend some time looking at Uniswap V3 data on mainnet on Ethereum. And I'm sure there's just a ton that we can learn from like seeing how LPs actually use it, seeing like what kind of slippage, you know, users are able to see and what the capital efficiencies people are able to see. And then that might allow us to, you know, like tweak the design for Whirlpool that we have in mind to something better. Mm-hmm. That's super cool. Yeah, I, I had the same experience reading the Uniswap code. And I was like, this is like a perfect money like yeah. that. <laughs> and it's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> uh, ironically, while like Serum was building the Serum DAX, which is like a masterpiece of work coming yeah. from them, there's like this other thing that I was like, oh, like this is really cool too. And um, I, I always thought, wondered like, is it possible to get the best of both worlds? Like have like every LP draw their Bayesian curve or, or something like mm-hmm. that, you know, like I, I never like really explored the, those ideas, but um, I'm excited that you guys are because I think it's it's definitely worthwhile. How, how big is your team and how do you balance like innovation versus like shipping stuff like as fast as you can? Yeah, I mean, like Ori mentioned earlier, you know, earlier on, you know, in September, like between September and February when we were building before we were public, we had so many ideas and we were like, oh, like this would be awesome. This would be awesome. Lending would be awesome. Yeah. Um, aggregating liquidity would be awesome. There was a time where awesome. we thought we would build a lending protocol. Yeah, there, <laughs> there actually was. Um, but again, like we realized we really have to just like focus on the things that only Orca can do. So yeah, I mean, we basically just have a roadmap, which is like, what are the most important things to make Orca a better DEX? And we, we're just trying to knock it out one step at a time. Yeah, I would say that in terms of our team, I think our team is actually pretty special. Like we haven't been super public with our identities so far, but honestly, that's really just been kind of an experiment too, like kind of conscious of privacy, trying to just like launch something and see how it goes. But actually, like there's really not much for us to hide. And so I think like when people actually hear about like the experience that we have, where like Utaro has been in Ethereum for a long time, you know, worked on UMA, worked on ETH 2.0. I think that gives him a really long-term view. And that, as well as the fact that we both kind of have long-term development backgrounds, like worked at, you know, brand name Silicon Valley and New York companies. And so we kind of know like what good engineering looks like. Plus we have this background deep in crypto. And then myself coming in with like more fresh eyes, actually, I think was a really good thing too. Like i have experience as like a developer at startups and also as a designer. But when I came into crypto, I was like, man, this is just like the classic example of like a ton of solutions running around looking for problems. (laughs) And then all of the actual problems are just like languishing. And so that's where, you know, when I did user research, which I assume that most people in this space probably 
don't even try to do is like when I talk to actual DeFi users, they were like, yeah, so when I go and make a swap on Uniswap, I'll open a tab and open Uniswap. And then I'll also open a tab and open one inch and check the price there. And then I'll also open a tab and check the price on Binance just in case. And also one on CoinGecko, you know, if I feel like it or if there's too much discrepancy. And I was like, this is crazy. Like, why can't people just see the price of tokens like in the swap interface? And Mm so I think that's like where our combination of expertise came in to like make these small changes that are honestly all like low hanging fruit and just provide like a way better experience. Mm -hmm. So I, I guess our team, I feel, is pretty special in that way. Yeah, I would say so. Um, you know, we are a fairly small team and we're growing it right now. Um, we we hired our first full-time engineer a few weeks ago, actually. He's and awesome. Yeah, and we have a few candidates in our pipeline that we're going to hopefully have, you know, like working full-time in the next, like, month to two months. Um, and... Yeah, I mean, like, we're basically just using our personal network and finding people that are interested in crypto. Thankfully, that's a little easier now than it was, like, a year or two ago. Yeah, our first engineer, we love him. He's Utaro's best friend. Like, he's a long-term DGen. He's also, like, former (laughs) Google engineer. He's just, like, the perfect fit. Um, I remember one day he was just, like, we we had some good catch-up because he had been, like, helping out with some stuff for Orca. And he was, like all right, guys, I've decided, like, I'm going to quit my job and join Orca. And we're like, woo, let's make this happen. <laughs> um, and, like, I think it's just been, yeah, amazing seeing all, like, the natural interests. That, like, people are so psyched to build, like, crypto stuff. People are super psyched to, like, join a small team because I think something that, like, it's easy to forget when you're in this space is, like, how crazy all of this seems from the outside. Like, the fact that, you know, a five to 10 person team can build something the scale of like Uniswap is just amazing. Like it's liberating. And no, like, of course there's less red tape when you have like five people instead of, I don't know how many people work at like Bank of America, you know? And so like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I think like the, yeah, the, the beauty of this is always like, to me is like the cryptography, actually people having those keys and making, the whole system peer to peer because you have that like guarantee that it's me talking to somebody else around the world. And it's, it's really wild that it kind of, I think I always kind of think of it as like a going from this like social graph world where there's somebody always in between you to like a fully connected world where it's every, everything is peer to peer. Yeah. I mean, it's really cool how even for us, like, you know, we, we went public and we basically have an immediate, like we immediately had a global market. And then it was very unexpected where the users came. I, I wouldn't say it was completely unexpected, but it was very organic. And, you know, just like seeing like how much traction we got in Asia was like pretty cool. It's really an unexplored space, you know. I think the fact that it's so global also makes the regulatory side really interesting and really complicated. And, you know, you have users who are like, you should ship stuff every day. Why don't you just do X, Y, Z? And we're like, have you thought about the legal implications of that? <laughs> like, we have to. I know you don't think yeah. about this. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So that's sort of something also where we, we spend a lot of time making sure that we do things right. Um, because we really do care about, like, not just building a project, but building a project, like, the right way in a way that will be resilient hopefully, and like, you know, in a way that is honest and transparent. And I think 
with like this constantly changing world of crypto regulation, that's the best thing you can do is just to try to abide by the best possible practices and create something that like create that provides so much value to this like new internet economy that like no one would want to shut it down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My experience with the internet was this watching like people grow into it versus like the internet really changing. Do you think that people are just going to grow into crypto or, or is crypto going to like kind of change dramatically over like the next five to 10 years? Yeah, I think people will definitely grow into crypto. That is definitely going to be true. I think certain things in crypto will improve, but others will not necessarily change. Like, for example, I think, you know, key management, I think like certain problems with it will be mitigated, but like at the end of the day, like it's not going to be completely solved. I think, you know, it's either going to have to be a centralized custodial solution or people will have to handle, like manage their own risks of managing their own keys. I think that is not going to change. You know, things that will change is like transaction throughput will improve. Well, I mean, like, I guess I'm coming from like the Ethereum world. <laughs> Obviously, you know, I'm, we are working on Solana because we believe that transaction throughput will increase while like keeping things sufficiently decentralized. And I think that that trend will, you know, continue somewhat. Yeah, I believe that crypto is just going to become way more integrated into the way that we do things. And so like what crypto means is going to be very different in the future where it might be more of like the backbone of the internet economy, but maybe the everyone's using it without realizing that they're using it. Right? I think that's one of like the common theses that people talk about. And coming back to our early analogy, right? Like I think most Mac OS X users are not thinking about underlying Unix systems, right? Like these things have just become so integrated that people will be using it whether they know or care or not. And I actually think that would be a great place for us to get to for crypto because the idea of the most of the world's population trying to manage their own keys is terrifying to me, to be honest. Like, (laughs) I don't know if people in the future are going to be like biometrically authenticating or what they're going to be doing, but they're probably not going to be carrying around ledgers. Yeah. What I think is weird is that, like, the browser, right, I look at it, there's still a URL bar, and that was in the first version of the browser. That was that's <laughs> still there. There's still links. And even though, like, it's mostly the same, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think that, you know, crypto maximalists like us vaguely see the power of what happens if, you know, all these things are composable and like essentially atomic and how that can like basically change everything. But I think people that are like more crypto skeptics, they don't really see how that can change. And they only see like the limitations of like transaction throughput or like the difficulty of key management. Core technology can stay the same and all of the experience around it can evolve in a way that is almost unrecognizable to V1, right? Like the URL bar is still there, but how often do you go in and type HTTPS? You know, like when I go anywhere even new on the web, I just Google it, right? Like I I Google it from the URL bar, but like I'm not entering these URIs, right? And so I, I kind of expect something similar for crypto. Like 
people are going to open their wallet somehow and and interact with crypto in the future, but it's probably not in the form of keys and seed phrases. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting how this stuff can evolve in so many different ways, but I, I, I do believe that like, if people still need some form of understanding that there's a key and a secret and they have custody of that thing and that's what gives them like that power, We'll see what happens, though. Yeah. Um, speaking of cryptography, I was wondering what uh, Solana had in mind in terms of supporting zero knowledge proofs. Yeah, we, we have a, a um, Greg, uh, who's like one of the co-founders, has been like deep in and trying to understand uh, cryptography, and we have some folks joining. Um, part of the the challenge there is that the technologies right now are not really like it's so early, like it's really hard to bootstrap any, any of these systems without potentially making a mistake. You know, the bug in Sapling, you know, like was fixed like three years later after, after Zcash was launched. Yeah. <laughs> and it's really scary to like, as a operating systems engineer, it's, hairy, it's, it's scary to handle that code, mm. right? Like to handle the, the math, right? You kind of don't, have intuition into it like where where stuff breaks Mm -hmm. i always feel like i know enough to be really dangerous in cryptography (laughs) (laughs) yeah some of the things that i think are doable are more like simpler systems like bulletproofs where you have like these not fully zero knowledge fully anonymous systems but where you have some pseudo anonymity and you can maintain like basically confidentiality of the amounts transferred and things like that in a peer-to-peer fashion, which could be like, if you scale that to a hundred million people could be really powerful because it does kind of give you some privacy and some, by the sheer nature of the public keys themselves, some pseudonymity there. Yeah. It'd be really cool if Solana allowed application developers like us to experiment with generating proofs or verification of proofs at the application level. So it's all Rust, right? So you can definitely write that code and, and load it up. That's true, yeah. <laughs> the, yeah. So those curve operations and everything like that, you can definitely evaluate them. It's just like when, whenever I talk to somebody in cryptography, they're like, when I ask them, what should I use? They point me at a paper that's three months old. <laughs> I'm like, oh, <laughs> give me something that's five <laughs> to ten years old. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's true. Hearing you say that, though, honestly, like it just underscores for me why we picked Solana, because I think like you get a lot of folks in like the crypto space who are either like too far on the research side or actually like not really that experienced with, you know, building real businesses or real applications. And like, I guess being like industry trained engineers ourselves, like when we saw that your team is like you know, really been in the trenches when it comes to hardware. And like you run into real problems that you just don't experience if you're just on the research side. And so like hearing you say that like X makes you scared, I think is like a really good thing that makes us less scared. (laughs) Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, this is a really tough challenge. I've only really experienced it when shipping like firmware for mobile devices. And that was like twice a year kind of thing. But in crypto... You know, you ship a feature like every month or so, right? And if it's an on-chain code chain to potentially be exploited, you see this stuff happen like in, in massive amounts. And it's always like 
I'm loading firmware into like the global bank, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it just blow up at any moment. Yeah. It's just only scary. Yeah. What are you guys' plans for like for like products and stuff for the for this year? We briefly talked about it, but is is there anything else that you guys can share? Yeah, I guess th- those are the things that are actually a little farther out in terms of like how excited we are to innovate on the core AMM. But we have a lot that's on the verge of coming out. That's pretty publicly on our Q2 roadmap, which I think is all about making Orca more accessible to more people. And so concretely, I think the first thing that we're planning to do is just like list a bunch more tokens and make it a lot easier to, to list more tokens. So I've been working on some stuff internally that makes it like as easy for us as basically running a script to get new tokens listed. Uh, beyond that, we're also planning to launch our stable pool. So it'll be like the curve curve. Um, that we've been working on with John from the Solana team and to be able to support way better execution on USDC, USDT, and any other future stable pools. Once we get that out, we also have our solar bridge is what we're calling our UI for Wormhole to make things like, yeah, just like way easier to get from Ethereum to Solana and ideally like way easier to just start swapping on Orca and all these things are actually in this like 80% done state, but then like the last 20% is the hardest, you know, because we're like, at least I'm spending like all my dev time right now on getting our governance token and liquidity mining out. So there's like all these other work streams that are like almost there. <laughs> uh, but I think one thing that we're going to launch actually like really soon, as well as just localization on the UI, like nice. Utara sort of mentioned that we have tons of users in Asia. We have a lot in Vietnam and in Russia and in these markets that I think like most folks actually don't really speak English. And so like, even though it's been, you know, not the most fun work to like manually make each string translatable in the Orca UI, like things like that are actually like huge. And I think most projects don't bother and it's, it's a huge loss. Yeah. That that's, I'm glad you guys are doing that. This is something that, yeah, we, we heard early on that that was important to do and we didn't know how important that was going to be, but we had everything translated during our launch, like, and Raj submitted the, he pushed like a new release, right? Mm. Like a build of the website. And it like landed two seconds before like Binance tweeted out, like Solana's going AO. And we had like 80,000 hits <laughs> within a second. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. and we were able to see like from the data that a lot of people actually care like about the localization. So that was really like one of those first moments where I realized that this is not just like a simple product. You're building kind of this global thing from the ground up. It's just strange, right? Like that the stuff that's just a big pile of code (laughs) can connect people around the world. And that it's just cryptography and a pile of code. (laughs) (laughs) It's cheesy, but it's like really true in our experience. Like we were basically just trying to like get, products out in the beginning and then like you know we were really active on the orca telegram and discord at first like we read every message in our telegram in the beginning we have like this incredible cm team now but basically all of whom were just orca fans who were like i want to be part of this and like we have our awesome cm Ebo who's based out of china mm-hmm. uh, we have two folks who are based out of the uk and like even without us trying like you know, Mike, our first engineer, is in California right now, and we're in Japan. So, yeah, it is truly like a global force. That's awesome. Yeah, it's remarkable, right? That this is. <laughs> 
I think it's there's like so many sides to crypto. I think when people look at stuff on like crypto Twitter and they see like people arguing and fighting, <laughs> I think that's simply because it's Twitter. But reality is that like we all like just want to like get together, <laughs> like like have fun and like build cool stuff. Uh, it doesn't really matter almost like what platform this stuff is on. Of course, Solana is my favorite, but <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the, it, it's really cool that like just code can bring so so many people together. How do you guys, I guess, plan on like growing the community? Is is it simply like are you guys going to do your own hackathons or like any other like uh, events? Yeah, I think we need to kind of grow out the team more before we can really like dedicate time to i guess cultivating community thankfully you know we already have a very active telegram and discord and you know there's already kind of like a culture that's sprouting from these like social media channels um and we also have like a great cm team um that's like helping us with it i think one of the things that we want to push on maybe in like q3 is like helping independent developers build integrations with Orca. And I think once we can succeed at doing that, then we can succeed in like having a fairly diverse set of stakeholders that are interested in the success of Orca. And I think that would be really cool. I think we're already on the path there, actually. Like we've been experimenting with it a bit. Like people have just started building on Orca, like it or not, right? Um, and so we are actually have an independent contributor right now who just was interested in Orca, who's working on building out like an SDK, a TypeScript SDK for interacting with Orca pools. Like there's obviously the HJS bindings already for token swap, but that requires you to have like a pretty sophisticated understanding of this Luna token and token swap models. And mm -hmm. so we want to have a, like a much easier SDK where folks can basically just plug in like, you know, sole USDC and like make a swap without having to know like what that pool address is, for example. Nice. And so like, I think developer experience stuff like that is going to be eventually what makes Orca like that, that real building block. Cause I think that's, what's so cool about AMMs, right? They are this sort of theoretically plug and play experience. That's super cool. So, um, on that note, like, I just want to thank you guys for coming on the podcast, but more importantly, just for building stuff. I mean, that's awesome. I, I love the vision and like you guys have had a really remarkable success. So thank you guys so much. Yeah. Thank, thank you. you. Yeah, it's been our pleasure. Mm -hmm.